What is up, my crew? Welcome back to another episode of Interesting Facts with Chase on another wild Wednesday. Uh, thanks again for always tuning in to our Sunday episodes. Uh, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We had a lot we covered last Sunday. Uh, got all into you know Severus and Draco keep going back and forth about this whole unbreakable vow. And then you got Harry that's sneaking off, kind of going rogue agent on everyone, right? Why Albus is trying to keep him together and keep diving into the Pensieve and find out more about uh, Riddle's past, right? Um, so that's kind of what we're really going to dive in today is the things we talked about on chapters 13 through 18. Um, we've got a lot to cover today. So glad I gave you guys that break kind of last week and... Uh, yeah, speaking of rogue agents, by the way, <laughs> you know I'm like a big comic guy, right? So um, I always like to kind of give myself a break and just either it's go down the street just on a jog or just take a five-minute quick trip up the road. You know, we're big friends up there with the guy's Coliseum of Comics. So I stopped by there and I picked up this new issue that came out and it's called uh, Spider Shadow, which is really cool. And basically what it is is it's if Peter Parker never uh took off the symbiote suit uh from venom and i thought it was really cool um and it's like a mini series they're doing like a five issue series so definitely pick it up if you get the chance no spoilers but wow it is wild um and it's not toby mcguire goes rogue and walks off down new york city uh times square snapping his fingers like high school musical either it's more like if peter parker you know, uh, went off off the rockers like John Bernthal in The Punisher. <laughs> so it it is really awesome. But yeah, guys, uh, we got a lot to get into today. So let's just go ahead and dive into it. Uh, so the first thing, so starting out here in chapter 13. So Hermione Granger is reading this book uh, and it's called Flesh Eating Trees of the World. So uh, Flesh Eating Trees of the World was actually released uh, before 1913. No exact date is known. The publisher was actually the Hogwarts Press. Uh, the subject is on herbology, and it's a multi-volume series. It actually dealt with the properties of carnivorous trees and plants. Uh, it covers the correct way to actually juice a Snargoloff pod. So if you tuned in on Sunday, uh, you heard the interesting facts with Josh and I, where we kind of uh, tag-teamed that one and covered Snargoloff pods. So definitely turn into that. Um and it also, uh, this volume of text, The Flesh-Eating Trees of the World, also covered self-fertilizing shrubs. Uh, Newt Scamander was actually known to actually have a copy of this book uh, when he attended Hogwarts. And what a self-fertilizing shrub is, is uh, a scented magical plant that feeds on flesh, actually. And it had the ability to produce its own fertilizer. Um, it is actually said that the plant required watering and flesh to survive it required little care because it would actually fertilize itself it actually advised uh it was advised not to put it with other plants because put with more than three plants it would actually kill the other ones um, and usually they're found in in dark damp caves which which is really cool because we'll talk about caves uh definitely a good bit in really important moments um, in the next couple episodes uh, coming up from now in a, in a couple weeks. So, but uh, they need to have dark, damp places to survive. So they're mostly found in caves. But where this is mentioned, so 
if you go to page 282 at the bottom uh, on Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, it says, Reparo, he said hastily, poking the pieces with his wand and the bull sprang together again. The crash, however, appeared to have awoken Ron and Hermione to Harry's presence. Hermione looked flustered and immediately started fussing about her copy of Flesh-Eating Trees of the World to find out the correct way to juice Snargoloff pods. Ron, on the other hand, looked sheepish, but also rather pleased with himself. And this was on page 282 to 283, and this is at the bottom of the page on Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, Dilly Grout is actually the new password for the Gryffindor common room. Uh, what Dilly Grout actually is, it's a kind of porridge or stew that was offered to the British monarch on Coronation Day by the Lord of Manor of Addington Shuri. Uh, it says, Dilly Grout, he said darkly to the fat lady, and they climbed through the portrait hole into the common room, and that's on page 289. The next thing, so remember Hermione and Ron. Uh, Ron just can't stay out of the doghouse for some reason. So uh, I guess it's like Josh was saying, like that whole typical high school kind of back and forth relationships you can't tell who likes who so he keeps trying to impress the girl maybe or he's just trying to have fun for himself but he can never pick up on any hints so you know him and Hermione um he really sets Hermione off uh in the chapters we covered on Sunday and this is on page 302 so on page 302 at the bottom she says a punk no came a shriek from the doorway Harry spun around to see Hermione pointing her wand at Ron her expression wild the little flock of birds was speeding like a hail of fat golden bullets towards Ron, who yelped and covered his face with his hands, but the birds attacked, pecking and clawing at every bit of flesh he could, they could reach. Girl, off from me, he yelled, but with one last look of vindictive fury, Hermione wrenched open the door and disappeared through it. Harry thought he heard a sob before it slammed. Uh, you know, and that's when they keep going back and forth, and they had a lot of issues there. So two big things um i was wanting to know more about so a pugno i'm going to tell you about that first so when it said a pugno came a shriek from the doorway so that jinx that hermione uh sent so the uh, pugno jinx is a jinx that directed an object or individual to attack the victim the spell would cause conjured creatures or other movable objects under the control of the caster that attacked the target uh and then once again, just to reread you that, it said, Harry spun around to see Hermione pointing her wand at Ron, her expression wild. The little flock of birds was speeding like a hail of fat golden bullets uh, towards, the, towards Ron, who yelped and covered his face with his hands, but the birds attacked, pecking and clawing at every bit of flesh they could reach. Uh, and when Ron said, girl for me. <laughs> so I was really wondering what this was. I was even wondering if it was like a spell or something. Because it's spelled G-E-R-R-E-M-O-F-F-M-E. And um, what this actually is. So it's a poor articulation of get them off me. <laughs> it's not a counter spell. It's just Ron saying get the birds off of him, basically. So get them off me is really what it is. Uh, quintessence so quintessence this is actually on page 304 uh, so the quote is actually on uh, page 304 and it's quintessence a quest and it says Harry did not answer but pretended to be absorbed in the book they were supposed to have read before charms next morning quintessence a quest determined as he was to remain friends with both Ron and Hermione 
he was spending a lot of time with his mouth shut. And um, so Quintessa's Quest, which is on page 304 in the middle, if you want to look that up, it was a required textbook to be read in charms class for six years at Hogwarts. Students were always expected to finish it before Christmas. <laughs> I tried to look up more about it, but that's actually all that's known of that book. Um, Bobbles. So uh, this is on page 308. It says, Bobbles, said Harry to the fat lady. Uh, this being the new festive password. So this was another password. What baubles actually are, are they're colored balls of glass to decorate Christmas decorations, usually used to hang from Christmas trees. Uh, basically what they are is ornaments, is what they are, um, but that's just what they call them. Uh, and this was the new Gryffindor password to the common room. Um, so here, remember uh, when they wound up going to Slughorn's birthday party, uh, they had actually on page 315 they actually do have a vampire there so this is the first time we actually get to hear about vampires in this book and on page 315 at the bottom it says Harry I'd like you to meet Eldred Warple an old student of mine author of Blood Brothers my life amongst the vampires and of course his friend Sanguini and this of course is Slughorn talking to Harry at that uh big birthday party he had right uh warple who was a small stout bespectable spectacle man grabbed harry's hand and shook it enthusiastically the vampire sanguini who was tall and emaciated with dark shadows under his eyes merely nodded he looked rather bored a gaggle of girls was standing close to him looking curious and excited harry potter i am simply delighted said warple peering short-sightedly up into Harry's face. I was saying to Professor Slughorn only the other day, where is the biography of Harry Potter for which we have all been waiting? Er, said Harry, were you? Just as modest as Horace described, said Warple, but seriously. His manner changed. It became suddenly businesslike. I would be delighted to write it myself. People are craving to know more about you, dear boy. Craving. If you're prepare, prepared to grant me a few interviews, say in four or five hour sessions, why, we could have the book finished within months. And all with very little effort on your part, I assure you. Ask Sanguini here. If it isn't quite Sanguini, stay here, added Warble. Suddenly stern for the vampire had been edging toward the nearby group of girls, a rather hungry look in his eye. Here, have a pasty, <laughs> said Warble, seizing one of the passing elf and snuffing it into Sanguini's hand before turning his attention back to Harry. <laughs> so you see, we finally get vampires for the first time, and it's about, you know, Eldred Warple, and then he brings his friend Sanguini that's an actual vampire. Um, so uh, Eldred Warple, a little bit about him. So he was actually born in between 1914 and 1970. So no exact date is known when he was actually born there, but he was a member of the Slug Club. He was a wizard and writer who was once a favorite student of Horace Slughorn. He studied vampires and became friends with Sanguini uh, and was actually best friends with him. And he wrote the book Blood Brothers, My Life Amongst the Vampires. He is described as small, stout, and bespectacled. Uh, his name is actually driven from Eldred, which means old advisor. Um, 
So, Blood Brothers, My Life Amongst the Vampires. I actually looked this up. There's not very much information on this at all. Uh, it's just known as being a MAGA zoology book focused on the personal accounts of Eldred Warple as he lived amongst vampires. Uh, Sanguini is also known to be referred to in that book. That's all that's known about it, though. But Sanguini, the actual vampire... Uh, so he, was, he was a male vampire who attended the Slug Club Christmas party during Harry Potter's sixth year. Uh, he was the guest of Eldred Warple. He was tall, emaciated man, and had dark shadows under his eyes. But all that's really known about him is the name Sanguini actually originates from the Latin word uh, sanguinis, meaning of blood, uh, bloody, or blood-colored, or bloodthirsty, uh, which actually references... Uh, vampirism. Uh, the Latin word sanguinin is actually uh, a singular word in that word that is a noun that means sanguis, which means blood, meaning literally blood for blood or to blood. Other inspirations for his name sanguini actually came from the French and Italian uh, sangue, both meaning blood, and the English word exsanguiation means to bleed out and sanguine describing a blood color or having an active uh, worm and lovely uh, circulation or temper. But that's all that's known about that. So really just like the meaning of how JK Rowling got their names. Um, so remember uh, Luna was talking about on page 320 about the roofing conspiracy. So like her dad always had like a conspiracy that people were working inside the Ministry of Magic to actually take it over. Um, and this is on the top of page 320. And it says, So all the subjects in short for an Aurora, said Snape with the faintest sneer. Yeah, well, that's what I'd like to do, said Harry defiantly. And a great one you'll make too, boomed Slughorn. I don't think you should be in an Aurora, Harry, said Luna unexpectedly. Everybody looked at her. The Aurora's are part of the Rothtang conspiracy. I thought everyone knew that. They're working to bring down the Ministry of Magic from within using a combination of dark magic and gum disease. <laughs> and that's on page 320 at the top. Uh, so what the Rothtang conspiracy is, so it's a supposedly secret movement that was reported to exist within the Ministry of Magic in London, whose goal it was to bring down the institution with the combination of dark magic and gum disease. Um, Exilla Phineas uh, Lovegood, the editor of the Quibbler, who is, of course, Luna's father, both of them, Luna and Xenophilius, uh, both subscribed to the theory that there were a number of uh, disaffected ministry officials of Aurora's among them that were actually trying to overthrow the ministry and that they band together and conspired to destroy the wizarding governing body from the inside. The only person that's known to actually ever took interest in this theory was Professor Trelawney, actually. Um, so on page 330, this is going to bring us into uh, actually big section of our show today so celestina warbeck so believe it or not she actually plays a big role in the wizarding world so you very hear 
very rarely do you hear about her actually in the Harry Potter books. So she really exists more outside the Harry Potter books in the Wizarding World, but actually plays a, a big role. So uh, just a little quote here. It says, they were all supposed to be listening to Christmas broadcast Molly Weasley's favorite singer, Celestina Warbeck. And that's on page 330. Um, but you can actually see Celestina Warbeck perform live over at Universal Orlando Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Celestina Warbeck. So she was born August 18, 1917 in Wales. She was a half-blood, also known as the Singing Sorceress. Uh, she attended Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry and was actually sorted into Gryffindor. She was often featured on a show called The Witching Hour, which runs on the Wizarding Wireless Network. Uh, born to a wizarding father and a muggle mother, her father, a minor functionary in the Muggle Liaison Office, uh, met her mother there, who was a failed actress, when later was actually attacked by a Lethifold disguised as a stage curtain. So if you remember when we were talking about Lethifolds on our Interesting Facts on our Sunday episodes, I brought this up actually a long time ago. Um, but Celestina's musical talent was apparent even at a young age, and this was in 1927. The Wizarding Magazine Spellbound actually published an article about her talents when she was a young age, and uh, she was around 10 years old at this time and referred to her as a child prodigy. Uh, they were disappointed to learn her parents were that there were no such thing as wizarding stage schools, um, so Miss Warbeck, Celestina's mom, accepted that her daughter could go to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And Celestina attended Hogwarts from 1928 to 1936. At the school, Celestina's mother frequently still bombarded the school with letters to form a theater club, a choir, or a dancing class just so she could showcase her daughter's talents. After she graduated Hogwarts, she did start a big career as a singer. Uh, she frequently appeared uh, with a chorus of backing banshees. So they try to perform this at Universal but I think they don't realize what a banshee is because, <laughs> you know, banshees are supposed to be screaming. They're almost like those evil kind of witches, right? Almost kind of like Medusa type things. Um, they remind me of those things in Lord of the Rings that were underneath the water, like those evil witch things. Um, but it says they were justly famous, quote unquote. Uh, three devoted fans were actually involved in a three-broom pileup, so almost like a car crash, but a broom pileup crash, over in Liverpool on the last night of her flighty Aphrodite tour. Uh, her tickets often went on sale on the black market, which is why Molly could never actually uh, go see her favorite singer live, because they were so inflated. Uh, her personal life, uh, Celestina's, uh, became a profound subject of the Daily Prophet. Warbeck actually became romantically involved with one of her backup dancers early in her career. They wound up getting married but ended up divorcing after only a year, where later she married her manager, and then they had a son together. However, after 10 years of marriage, uh, Celestina Warbeck left him in order to join uh, marrying Irving Warby, so that's I-R-V-I-N-G Warby, W-A-R-B-I-E, who is a music composer. Uh, Celestina sometimes lent her name and talents to good causes, such as raising funds for St. Mungo's Hospital 
uh, for Magical Miladies and Injuries with a recording of Puddlemere's United Anthem. Uh, beat back those bludgers, boys, and chuck that quaffle here. Oh, and we're going to hear all her songs, too. Factor Melody with Interesting Facts with Chase. Oh, yes. Yeah. Maybe they got, like, a bullet for my Valentine versions. Tears don't fall. <laughs> yeah, that takes me back. Uh, but it says, boys, and chuck that quaffle here. More controversially, though, Celestina was in vocal disagreement with the Ministry of Magic, who sought to impose restrictions on how the wizarding community was allowing to celebrate Halloween. So I thought that was pretty interesting there. But some of Celestina's best-known songs include You Charmed the Heart Right Out of Me and A Cauldron of Hot Strong Love that we just heard about. But in the late 20th century, the album You Stole My Cauldron But You Can't Have My Heart actually was a massive global hit and featured heavily on multiple shows in the Wizarding Wireless Network, uh, one such being The Witching Hour, hosted by Glinda Shetalk, but I, that I told you about earlier. In 2003, she actually allowed a muggle dog walker who accidentally took a port key to one of her concerts to join her on stage for a duet of a cauldron full of hot, strong love while the memory charm was cast on him by her harassed ministry official that appeared at his first um, chance to erase his memory of the incident warbeck actually uh, was not amused by the incident and told the public um, and that minister that cast the spell has been infamous ever since but in the summer of 2014 celestina warbeck traveled uh, to the patagonian desert to watch the games of the 427th quidditch world cup her presence alongside with other wizarding celebrities was noted by reporter Rita Skeeter to have caused flurries of excitement with crowds of members scrambling for autographs, even attempting to cast bridging charms to reach the VIP boxes. Uh, Celestina's latest album was entitled You Stole My Cauldron But You Can't Have My Heart, and uh, that was also the title to her promotional tour that year. And that included a show in Liverpool, and that was where fans were so desperate to arrive to the concert that they had that three-broom collision there. Uh, Warbeck scheduled concerts in Exmoor, uh, which was sponsored by the Sorcerer's Sauce Pot. Uh, tickets were on sale for five gallons each, and fans had to book their port keys early, is what it says. Uh, magical abilities and skills of Celestina. Uh, she was known for care for magical creatures. Uh, during her free time, she actually enjoyed breeding Krups, which, remember, those are like those Jack Russell Terrier dogs, but they really can't stand muggles. And she was really known for her singing skills. Like I said, in the wizarding community, she is actually known for being legendary. Her known songs are A Cauldron Full of Hot Strong Love, uh, You Charmed My Heart Right Out of Me, uh, the, this is the Puddlemere United theme here, and this is uh, Beat Back Those Bludgers Boys and Chuck the Quaffle Out of Here. Uh, for her fourth top song is You Stole My Cauldron But You Can't Have My Heart. And that's the name of the album title that was on and the track. And Nothing Like a Holiday Spell. So that was the next one. And that was also the, an album title and the track for a Christmas album. Accio Christmas. And the next one after that was My Baby Gave Me a Hippogriff for Christmas. 
and her last top song was a witch and wizard's wintry wondrous land and so just a little bit about these actually what is really cool you can actually hear all of these live performed at universal orlando wizarding world of harry potter on stage there where they do the plays and stuff and actually jk rowling wrote all these songs um, a little bit about Celestina Warbeck, a little bit more uh, just kind of on the side. Um, she was actually played by an American actress called Shalanda Lacombe at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Um, Celestina Warbeck's concert is featured at the Carket Market in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, she sings never-before-heard songs. And the lyrics also contain never-before-revealed information about Celestina's wand, and it was all written by J.K. Rowling. So uh, Warbeck um, is actually Rowling's favorite offstage character. The author imagined her to look like Shirley Bassey. Um, Rowling took the name Celestina from a friend with whom she worked at the Amnesty International in London for many years, stating that the name was simply begging to be attacked to a attached uh to a glamorous witch uh celestina this is a quote from jk rowling celestina is one of my favorite offstage characters in the whole series and has been part of the potter world ever since its inception making an early appearance in short-lived daily profit series it produced for members of the equally short-lived fan club run by my british publisher in bloomsbury Although we never lay eyes on Celestina during the whole seven volumes of the Potter books, I always imagined her to resemble Shirley Bassey's basic looks and style. I stole her first name from a friend with whom I worked years ago at Amnesty International's headquarters in London. Celestina was simply begging to be scooped up and attached to a glamorous witch. Uh, Celestina's appearances, uh, so she's actually mentioned in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone video game, Sorcerer's Stone video game, uh, Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and she appears on a famous wizard card. She is on the Chamber of Secrets video game and appears on a famous wizard card. She is mentioned in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. She is mentioned in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. She is mentioned, actually, in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. She is mentioned in Quidditch Through the Ages. She is also mentioned in Daily Prophet newsletters. Uh, J.K. Rowling's official site has mentioned her. Uh, and, of course, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. You can actually not only just see her mentioned, but actually see her perform there. Uh, Pottermore, uh, they mention her there. Uh, Harry Potter and Hogwarts Mystery actually mentions her. Uh, the Archive Magic, uh, which is... The film Wizarding of Fa Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes Against Grindelwald. She appears on a magazine. In Harry Potter, Wizards Unite, that game she has mentioned. Uh, and then she also appears on her own bronze chocolate frog card. And you can actually get this at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter or wherever you get your chocolate frogs as well in the real world. Pantagonian Desert. Remember I told you Celestina Warback performed out there. So this will kind of bring us into my favorite section of the day, the Quidditch section. So the Pantagonian Desert was actually located in Argentina as the seventh largest desert in the world, hosted in 2014, the Quidditch World Cup. We've talked about the Quidditch World Cup before. Remember where I told you about the Inferi were eating the players? And <laughs> we talked about that last time? Because that actually did happen. So the 2014 Quidditch World Cup took place against Bulgaria and Brazil, 
uh, in the finals. Bulgaria wound up winning the cup. Uh, 16 countries wound up qualifying. So I know what you're thinking. The Inferi, you were thinking that was like the final match. That wasn't the final match. That was all during group play when that happened uh, with the Inferi, when they were eating players and all that stuff. Uh, 16 countries qualified. So that was Brazil, Bulgaria, Chad, Fiji, Germany, Haiti, Ivory Coast, Jamaica, Japan, Liechtenstein, New Zealand, Nigeria, Norway, Poland, the United States of America, and Wales. So uh, in group phase, so in 2012, Liechtenstein caused serious upset in qualifiers over China, who had previous won the cup. So they beat China that were the previous reigning champs, and Liechtenstein beat them. Um, This was in 2012 during the qualifiers. Nigeria uh, and Norway entered as two highest ranked teams in the first year, and USA, uh, it was their first year that um, looked to have a chance to still reach the finals. So they weren't picked to win, but that's pretty good for the United States because we're never really looked very highly at Quidditch. Uh, Moldova, who had consistently produced excellent Quidditch teams, had an outbreak of dragon pox this year and actually didn't qualify. Uh, Victor Crum actually had returned out of retirement this year, and there was a lot of anticipation around him uh, for Bulgaria because he retired after a narrow defeat in 2002 uh, in the Quidditch World Cup against Egypt, um, but came back out of retirement to try to win a ring this year. 2014 controversy. So rumors started spreading that Haiti was actually using Inferi to intimidate opposing teams. Another incident occurred where Brazilian managers uh, Jose Barboza insulted Welch chasers by calling them talentless hags. Remember we talked about this for a little bit. And the manager, Gwynog Jones, remember the one Slughorn is always talking about getting him tickets for the Hollyhead Harpies, um, threatened to curse his face off. And remember, she was pulled back by her own players and security. And Barboza issued the statement insisting that his original remark had been taken out of context. Uh, The opening ceremony, so the Argentina Council of Magic, actually planned it to be mascot-themed this year. So this is when everything went haywire. The crowds cheered on April 12, 2014. Ivory Coast uh, had the River Genie mascot. River Genie is a genie's... Uh, is a genie that's native to the Ivory Coast. They were actually known to glide over water, so they were more aqua-type genies. Um, Norway had Selma. Selma, what those are, are sea serpents that feed on fish and human flesh. They're very aggressive and native to icy lakes in Norway. Uh, Fiji had Duroqua, which Duroqua can transform into humans and sharks, and they were shapeshifters underwater. They were actually native to uh, the warm oceans of Fiji. Brazil had corpora, which corpora were dwarves, so like Lord of the Rings. There were dwarves, red hair forest dwelling dwarves. However, they were native to Brazil and their feet faced backwards relative to their bodies. Uh, Corpora hair is also known as an unstable wand core, and people would use it in wands, and that has been known to be associated with powerful and unpredictable wizards. Uh, Nigeria had the Sasa Bonsam. So remember we were talking about the students at Hogwarts uh, and one person getting bit with the Sasa Bonsam. So those are the vampiric 
uh, vampiric spindle-legged creatures that were talked about that have like the vampire bites. Lichtenstein had the augury. Um, those were those augury were greenish black birds. You know, we've talked about them before. Um, even known for having their own fan club for the, that mascot. Haiti had the Inferi. Uh, Inferi, once again, we've talked about are those dead corpses that are bewitched. Uh, the, so the ceremony went well until Nor, uh, Norwegian Selma and Fijian Duraqua clashed in a small space on a lake. Handlers had to plunge into water to save the both sets of mascots, but they were hampered by Brazilian corporas when they did. With blood flowing all over the lake, uh, Nigeria Sasabonsams grew crazed and joined the fray. The rumors were that the Haitians, during their match that we were talking about, during the interesting facts before, uh, the inferior could smell the blood and just went haywire from the blood that was still all over the field. And all this happened in group play. It also, uh, so the inferior um, wound up eating the players and the players from the stands and pulling them down from the stands uh, over the match that happened with Haiti in the USA. And um, what happened was eventually the USA played Haiti in the match. Um, but the match uh, wound up uh, that Haiti played later on wound up getting disqualified. Haiti was eventually disqualified and uh, could not continue out of the first round because of the matches Haiti played because of the Inferi resulted in 300 casualties from shock, broken bones, bites, uh, and a Sansa Bonsam bite and half-eaten people were falling from the stadium. So here's how the first round went. Because, and remember, Haiti gets disqualified, so they don't get to play. So the first round, Ivory Coast uh, plays Norway. Uh, Ivory Coast loses 340-100 against Norway. Bulgaria plays New Zealand, wins 410-170. Japan beats Poland 350-140. Fiji loses to Nigeria. Nigeria beats Fiji 400 to 160. The USA winds up playing Jamaica because Haiti got disqualified. So the USA beat Jamaica 240 to 230. Liechtenstein beats Chad 470 to 330. Haiti disqualified was scheduled to uh, wound up was scheduled to play but didn't. Uh, Brazil um, automatically advanced because they were going to be scheduled to play Haiti. Um, and Brazil uh, automatically advances. Germany uh, wins 100. Uh, Germany loses uh, to Wales, who beat them 330 to 100. And then the quarterfinals start. So Bulgaria beats Norway 170 to 20. Japan beats Nigeria 270 to 100. USA beats Liechtenstein. 450 to 290. Brazil beats Wales 460 to 300 in the quarterfinals. And then in the semifinals, Bulgaria beats Japan 610 to 460. USA loses to Brazil 310 to 420. So Brazil beats USA 420 to 310. So 
my uh, friends in Sao Paulo, my friends over in Rio, and all the beach areas. Uh, shout out to my friend Bruna, Luna, Anna, um, Gabby, all those ladies down in Brazil. You'd be happy about that one because you, you beat us pretty good on that one. Um, the finals were actually Bulgaria versus Brazil, but Bulgaria wound up winning 170 to 60. There was uh, a match for third place. Of course, USA, we can never show up when it matters, right? So Japan beats us 330 to 120. Um, and Japan beat USA 330 to 120. But honorable mentions for you. So Norway versus Ivory Coast. Norway beat Ivory Coast 340 to 100 and beat them in two hours. Um, but Lars Lundenvang, uh was twice targeted uh, with jinxes from the crowd, which had the game stopped twice. He was the Norway chaser. Elodi Dumblay scored seven of Ivory Coast's 10 goals in the end, and the Norwegian seeker Sigrid Kristoffersen uh, beat Sylvian uh, Borgny to the snitch in the 128th minute. Nigeria versus Fiji. Uh, honorable mention there. So Nigeria beat Fiji 400 to 160. And the Fiji manager was quoted uh, regarding his seeker, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> when he caught the snitch early, uh, trailing 400 to 10. So they wound up losing uh, after the snitch was caught <laughs> because he caught the snitch too early, which has happened in the Harry Potter books before too. So USA versus Jamaica. This is a cool honorable mention. I'm a little biased because, you know, I live in Florida here and I'm from Georgia. But um, it was the fourth match of the tournament on May 16, 2014. USA won 240 to 230. There was suspicion of magical interference. Jamaican keeper Kakwanda Bailey suddenly fell off his broom shortly before the U.S. chaser Quentin Kowalowski scored their ninth goal. The keeper's fall was stopped just in time when a referee cast Arresto Momentum. Remember, just like uh, they had Albus do in, in uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban film. It was different in the books. It didn't happen in the books. But in the film, remember, Albus cast Arresto Momentum. It like slowed his fall to stop. So that's what they did here. And then 52nd minute, the U.S. seeker, Darius Smackhammer, caught the snitch ahead of Jamaican counterpart Shanice Higgins, resulting in a narrow victory for the United States, and it was later confirmed Bailey's suffering was from a Sasabon Sam bite, which, remember, we've talked about that before. So that was the match that bite happened at. Lichtenstein versus Chad. It was the longest match of the tournament. It actually ended on the third day, uh, May 19, 2014, and started May 17, 2014. The final score was Lichtenstein was 470 to Chad 330. Another honorable mention, uh, Brazil versus Wales in the quarterfinals. On June 4th, 2014, Brazil won 460 to 300. Jose Barboza called uh, the Brazilian man, who was the Brazilian manager, uh, called the Welsh chasers talentless hags. So this is the one we've talked about so many times uh, with Gwynog Jones, which unleashed, uh, unleashed, uh, Gwynog Jones, her temper, and she threatened to curse the face off of him. So remember, Gwynog Jones was not playing for the Hollyhead Harpies at the time. She was um, she was the manager 
at this time for her Quidditch team. Um, on the day of the match, Gwynog Jones was prevented from entering the stadium with the shirt she was wearing that said it should have been Hades' shirt. Um, the quarterfinal, Bulgaria versus Norway. Uh, so it was the second quarterfinal match on June 6, 2014, labeled by Jenny Potter. Uh, so Jenny, keep in mind, she's married to Harry at this time. So Jenny Weasley. Um, she labeled it as one of the biggest upsets of the tournament. In the 42nd minute, Victor Crumb performed what looked like a simple bludger avoidance, and uh, Norwegian counterpart Sigrid Christofferson not only neglected to mark him, but was actually looking the other way. Crumb secured the Bulgarian's victory. Uh, Christofferson flew directly into the ground and banged her head on it <laughs> until she was dragged away by the keeper, Carl. It showed Crumb wasn't too old to compete at 38 years old, and he definitely was worthy of coming back out of retirement, and his coach was actually in tears after the game. So this was very similar to what happened in the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, remember when he like fainted against that guy, and that guy ran into the ground um, during the Quidditch World Cup in Goblet of Fire in year four. Uh, USA versus Liechtenstein when they advanced. So USA took the victory with 450 points against Liechtenstein's 290. American seeker Darius Mackhammer secured USA's place for the semifinal in a daring capture of the Golden Snitch on the 148th minute. It involved a bareneck dash through crossfire of both bludgers and risked collision with Liechtenstein chaser Willie Wenzel to get the snitch hovering uh, near Windsor's left ankle. So pretty wild there. And then Japan versus Nigeria in the quarterfinal. Japan defeated Nigeria 270 to 100. Uh, the Japanese seeker Nariko Sato uh, soared through the middle action to seize the snitch, mist of distraction. Nigerian players intent on saving their teammate, Samuel Iquano, uh, when the tail of his broomstick was actually shot off by a bludger and broke, uh, broke the tail end off, and he went plummeting to the ground on his thunderbolt. Uh, Thunderbolt 7. Um, and the Exmoor Quidditch Stadium is where all this was. So the Quidditch Stadium was actually built in February 1999 and was covered in a full invisibility charm. Um, the Sorcerer's Sauce Pot, if you were wondering what that was, uh, so they sponsored the show of Celestina Warbacks in Exmoor, uh, which is a wizarding company. Uh, Corkett Market. Um, that's that outdoor shopping area located in Diagon Alley. So, you know, that's where the fountain is, where you can use your interactive wands. Also, that's in the Wizarding World. Uh, Hagrid and Harry walk there a lot. Uh, Shirley Basie. So in the real world, so in our world here, in the Muggle world, uh, so Shirley Basie actually is, um, so Shirley Veronica Basie, uh, and she was a Welch singer whose career began in 1953, and she's well known for her expressive voice. You definitely heard of her before uh, because her most known recordings are the soundtrack theme songs such as James Bond, Goldfinger, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, and Moonraker. She became the first Welsh person to gain a number one uh, single in 1959. Potter Watch, what that is, is a pirate radio program hosted by Lee Jordan, uh, who wound up rebelling against Voldemort. We know who Lee Jordan is. Uh, always commentating in the Quidditch commentators. 
uh, Wizarding Wireless Network. So what that is, uh, if you forgot, I mentioned it before on our Sorcerer's Stone Interesting Facts episode, but that's um, a generalist station in the Wizarding World. It's a radio station based in Hogsmeade Village. Known to appear on this station was uh, The Witching Hour, which was a famous show hosted by Glinda Shittock. Um, Toots and Shoots and Roots, hosted by Tilden Toots. And The Weird Sisters, which we've talked about The Weird Sisters so much before, you know, they performed in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire at the prom. Well, I call it the prom, <laughs> the Yule Ball, that sort of thing. Toot Shoots and Roots um, shows answering uh, wizard. What Basically what that show was, was it was answering wizarding gardening questions. Uh, the Witching Hour, all that's known about it is Miss Weasley actually used to listen to it at the burrow. And she listened to it actually in year two. Uh, so Chamber of Secrets, it's actually mentioned when Harry Potter went there, it was playing on the on the Wizarding Wireless Network. Molly Weasley had it playing. Um, and it says they were all supposed to be listening to Christmas broadcast, uh, you know, Molly Weasley's favorite singer, Celestina Warbeck, and that was on page 330, uh, that entire page there. So going, uh, going back here, back to where we were. So... Uh, remember this is on page 344 at the bottom it says the gnome under the Rodirian was now digging for worms in its roots and Harry kept his eyes fixed on it so a Rodirian all that is is that's just a shrub Uh, it also exists in our folklore Um, so from here uh, on page 369 on the bottom so we're talking about with, you know, Tom is talking to Slughorn. And when I say Tom, I mean Tom Riddle. So this is on 369 at the bottom page there. And he says, sir, is it true that Professor Merrythought is retiring? He asked. Tom, Tom, if I knew I couldn't tell you, said Slughorn, waging a reproving sugar-covered finger at Riddle though ruining the effect by slightly winking. And that's on page 369 at the bottom. So who Galcia Mary thought is, she was born before 1878. Uh, She was taught uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts from 1895 to 1945. And sometime between 1920 and 1940, the exact date is unknown, but she did work alongside Albus Dumbledore and Horace Slughorn. It is thought that after her retirement, Tom Riddle actually jinxed the Defense Against the Dark Arts position so that no one could be in that position for more than a year. Nothing else is known about her. I kept trying to look that up, uh, but I just couldn't find it. So the next part is actually a pretty big part because it can get confusing to some people, but it's what they were studying. Uh, So this is Gallupet's third law. So this is actually on page 374. And I'll just take this from the top of the page there. Uh, so, and this is where it says, uh, which means, of, of course, that assuming we achieve the correct identification of potion ingredients on Scorpion's reverse spell, but it talks about Galpian's third law. So they must be really advanced dark magic, or why would Voldemort have wanted to know them? I think it's going to be difficult to get information, Harry. You'll have to be very careful about how you approach Slughorn. Uh, thinking strategy and then they wind up going into class Uh, so it says Ron reckons I should just hang back after potions this afternoon oh well if Juan Juan thinks that you better do it she said flaring up at once after all when has Juan Juan's judgment ever been faulty Hermione can't you 
No, she said angrily and stormed away, leaving Harry alone and ankle deep in snow. Potion's lessons were uncomfortable enough these days, seeing as Harry, Ron, and Hermione had to share a desk. Today, Hermione moved her cauldron around the table so that she was close to Ernie and ignored both Harry and Ron. What have you done? Ron muttered to Harry, looking at Hermione. It's a haughty profile. But before Harry could answer, Slughorn was calling for silence from the front of the room. Settle down, settle down, please. Quickly, now lots of work to get through this afternoon. Gallopot's third law. Who can tell me? But Miss Granger can, of course. Hermione recited at top speed Gallopot's third law states that the antidote for a blended poison will be equal to more than the sum of the antidotes for each of the separate components. Precisely, beamed Slughorn. Ten points for Gryffindor. Now, if we accept Gallopot's third law true, Harry was going to have to take Slughorn's word for it that Gallopot's third law was true because he had not understood any of it. Nobody apart from Hermione seemed to be following that sl uh, what Slughorn said next either. Which means, of course, that assuming we have achieved correct identification of the potion's ingredients by Scarpin's Revel spell, our primary aim is not the relatively simple one by selecting antidotes to those ingredients in and of themselves, but to find the added components that will, by an almost all chemical process, transform this separate elements. Ron was sitting beside Harry with his mouth half open. Doodling absently on his new copy of advanced potion making, Ron kept forgetting that he could no longer rely on Hermione on help of him of trouble when he failed to grasp what was going on. And so, finished Slughorn, I want each of you to come and take one of these files from my desk. You are to create an antidote for the poison within it before it ends the lesson. Good luck, and don't forget your protective gloves. <laughs> so, what that is... Uh, so Gallipot's third law, what it actually is. So it was even a little bit confusing to me at first, but it's very similar. Like the idea kind of comes from Newton's first, second, and third law of motion, but it's a little bit different. So Gallipot's third law is for making antidotes, which uh, appeared to say that the antidote, of course, like we just read, for a blended poison, that is, a poison created by mixing several other poisons together could not simply be created by finding antidotes to each separate poison in the blended hole and mixing them together. The potion maker had to find the single ingredient in which added and blended the antidotes together and then near alchemically into combine them whole, which would counteract the entire uh, antidote uh, would counteract the entire poison and make it an antidote. Simply put, a true antidote was more than the sum of its parts. The law dictates that the protocol for making antidotes for all poisons, creating an antidote following this law, may be quite difficult. The existence of the law relates to the concept of synergy, or the idea that the whole product is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, the thought... Uh, J.K. Rowling actually got this from Newt's Laws of Motion. So basically, like, you know, if you combine these potions together, it'll make a potion that's better, is basically what it's saying. Um, Specialis Rivalio. So this uh, sounded, it says on page 376, which sounded impressive. Uh, for all the points on Galliput's third law, Specialis Rivalio that we read here, 
Uh, what that is, is that's an incantation charm that reveals any spells performed on objects or potions, and it was a variation of the Revelio charm. The Revelio charm, what that is, is it's used to reveal concealed objects, messages, invisible things, passages, and true appearances of a person. It has uh, no effect on a transformed Animagus. An Animagus reverse spell actually must be used uh, to put them back in human form. On December 7, 1926, Newt Scamander actually performed uh, the spell in Percival Graves, which we've talked about before. Percival Graves actually was Geller Grindelwald, um, who wound up revealing himself, who assumed uh, Graves' appearance using human transfiguration. Nine months later, Newt used the spell on Tina Goldstein as well, revealing that a Zowu, which we talked about both of them, Tina Goldstein and Zowu, uh, had been on the location of his investigations. In 1985, Jacob's sibling that we talked about was taught the spell by Minerva McGonagall in his second year and used it to untransfigure a cauldron into a cat and later reveal vanishing stairs. Um, known practitioners of this spell are Draco Malfoy, Harry Potter, Remus Lupin, Sirius Black, Luna Lovegood, Minerva McGonagall, Newt Scamander, and Jacob's sibling. Uh, Animagus Reverse Spell is a counter spell. Um, what you would do is you point the wand at the Animagus as one wishes to undo them. Uh, it, returns, it returns the Animagus back to human form and would manifest a blue light. And it might have needed to be performed by more than one witch or wizard. Um, I'll tell you in a minute. Of course, you know when this was used. This was used by Sirius Black and Remus Lupin on Scabbers when they turned him back into Peter Pettigrew in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, Sirius, and, and that's exactly what I just said here. So, yeah, I had it in my notes to mention that, but it's such a big moment. Yeah, that was when Sirius and uh, Lupin used it in the third year to reveal Scabbers as Peter Pettigrew. The revealing charm was a charm that revealed invisible messages written in invisible ink or any other method by concealment charms. Actually, in 1993, uh, so this was in Chamber of Secrets, their second year, Hermione, but more towards the springtime, uh, used the spell on Tom Riddle's diary during their second year. Uh, it says she trapped the diary, she tapped the diary three times and said, a porcium, nothing happened. And then uh, the human presence revealing spell, what that is, uh, the incantation is Homonium Revelio. And what that does is it actually reveals the presence of other humans in surrounding environments. The spell indi is indicated by a marker that can be felt by the target when it's pointed at them by something swooping over them. The known practitioners of this spell are Albus Dumbledore, Hermione Granger, Travers, who is a British Death Eater that fought in the first Wizarding War. war. He actually helped murder uh, Marlene McKinnon and her family um, and was imprisoned because of this. If you don't remember, this is when Alistair Moody actually mentioned uh, the McKinnon family uh, for the First Order of the Phoenix. And I'll mention that in just a minute. But also Tabit Winger, uh, Jacob Sibling's brother, and Patricia Rakepeck were known practicers of this. Uh, Tabit Winger was born between September 1st, 1972 and August 31st, 1973. He was sorted into the Ravenclaw house in 1984. He was an animagus that took the form of an eagle, actually. Um, in the 1970s, 
His parents were murdered by Death Eaters. He was an unregistered Animagus. Um, Death Eaters murdered his parents and escaped. He escaped in his Animagus form, um, which is why he they kept him unregistered because he actually revealed this ability to Minerva McGonagall at an early age, and she vowed uh, she would always keep this a secret. His mother was an unregistered Animagus uh, that took the form of a white swan. Um, he actually had a necklace with a feather of hers on it his third year. Jacob's sibling helped him find this necklace, and it led him into revealing his secret about being an unregistered Animagus and how he could turn into an eagle. Um he passed his newts and owls with exceptional grades and actually joined the Circle of Kana his sixth year in response to uh, Rowan Kana's death. Uh, Marlene McKinnon, uh, so she was an original member of the Order of the Phoenix, just a reminder of that. She died in 1981 and was murdered by Travers with the rest of her family, and uh, the rest of her family was murdered by a group of Death Eaters. So uh, just a, a quote on that is, it says, no one ever uh, lived after he decided to kill them. No one except you. And he'd kill some of the best witches and wizards at that age. The McKinnons, the Bones, the Pruitts. And this was Rubius Hagrid telling Harry Potter about Voldemort's murder of the McKinnon family. Um, Magic Most Evil. So remember that's that book that Hermione has. And that's on page 381 uh, when she was researching uh, Horcruxes. And on page 381... It says here, just so I can get you the exact quote for you. So, on Magic Most Evil, um, it says, so just looking for that quick quote. But basically, there was, it says, so uh, not a single one. So, she says, I haven't found one single explanation of what Horcruxes do, she told him. Not a single one. I've been right through the restricted, restricted section, and even in the most horrible books, where they'll tell you how to brew the most gruesome potions, nothing. All I could find was this, in an introduction to Magic Most Evil. Listen, of the Horcrux, wickedest of magical inventions, we shall not speak nor give direction. I mean, why mention it then? She said impatiently, slamming the old book shut, and let out a ghostly wail. Oh, shut up, she snapped stuffing it back into her bag. Um, and that was uh, the book Magic Most Evil. So it was a dark arts reference book that was written in the middle early ages by Godelot. The book actually had a characteristic, like I said, of it would always let out that ghostly whale, uh, whoever closed it. The copy of the book was kept in the restricted section. Um, and it actually is said that Godelot wrote the book with a collection of dangerous spells that he helped uh, develop from his wand. Uh, and it's also uh, was said that Goldilight actually kept a notebook of these spells and notes from this book. Uh, the body of work details advanced dark magic such as Horcruxes. The book, however, does not detail Horcruxes because it considers their nature so vile it was unwilling to speak of them, even being considered one of the most darkest dark arts books. And uh, what's cool is in the interesting facts on Sunday, I uh, remember, um, actually, so this is next week, on the interesting facts coming up in next week, uh, I actually wind up mentioning the, uh, who is kind of like the father 
of Horcruxes and, and that sort of stuff. So it's really cool. But Hermione Granger in 2020 actually is said to have a copy on the shelf of her office. Remember how we talked about how she became Minister of Magic in 2019? Well, it says Hermione Granger in 2020 is said to have a copy on her shelf in her office as the Minister of Magic. Most actually assume it is this book that she took from the library. Uh, so it's related to the Shrieking book. So the Shrieking book you've actually seen before. So the Shrieking book was actually shown in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone film uh, before. So it's a large uh, bound book in black and silver. A copy was kept in the restricted section of the Hogwarts library. Whenever opened, this book would shriek in one high pitch. Uh, voice and it appeared to be a collection actually of christian sermons uh the book is shown in harry potter and sorcerer's stone film when harry picks up the book in the restricted section of the library and like that face comes through the book remember that screaming face um the book shrieks with a horrific face and harry puts the book back on the shelf in the book if you zoom in closely in the film uh the text actually says of sincerity towards god and man which was an actual sermon uh, that was delivered on July 19, uh, July 1964. Also on the other side, you can zoom in as well, and it's another Christian sermon and, and quote on there. So very interesting. Um, Got a lot actually wrote uh, Magic Most Evil. All I'll say on him, because there's a lot more on him we'll get into on Hollows. Uh, but so he perished in his cell after he was locked in there by his own son. And we'll have much more interesting facts on him when we get into Deathly Hallows during our fourth quarter of this arc. Yeah, it's coming up quick. Um, Wilkie Tycross, remember Twycross, remember he was uh, the apparition professor. Um, so a little bit about him going on page 382 here. So on page 382, it says... And a small wizard whom Harry took to be the apparition instructor from the ministry, he was oddly colorous, with transparent eyelashes, wispy hair, and an unsubstantial air, as though a single gust of wind might blow him away. Harry wondered whether constant disappearances and reappearances had somehow diminished his substance, or whether his frail build was ideal for anyone wishing to vanish. Good morning, said the ministry wizard, when all the students had arrived and the heads of houses had called for quiet. My name is Wilkie Twycross, and I shall be your ministry apparition instructor for the next 12 weeks. I hope to be able to prepare you for your apparition test in this time. Malfoy, be quiet and pay attention, barked Professor McGonagall. So a little bit about Wilkie Twycross. So he was born before 1979. He was a British... He was a British wizard. His wand is unknown, uh, length and core. No one knows about that. But he was the supervisor of the ministry assignments in the seventh year of Hogwarts students in 1991, actually. He taught them a lecture on rules of conduct for visiting the Ministry of Magic, which is really interesting. He actually met Jacob Sibling that year. Uh, so this was Harry's first year uh, he was in this role. He taught the apparition lessons at Hogwarts uh, during Harry, Ron, and Hermione's sixth year, just like now when reading the book. But his magical abilities are apparition, nonverbal magic, and transfiguration. So the rules of conduct for students visiting the ministry. 
Um, the Ministry of Magic, what these are, is there are set rules of conduct enforced by the British Ministry of Magic headquarters concerning Hogwarts students partaking in the Ministry of Magic program, which uh, I'll tell you about that program. But basically what that was, it was almost like an internship program where students would gain experience as they went to Hogwarts. But um, included in the program, uh, in the following, it, uh, there were three uh, rules here, and that was always carry a student's badge. Uh, two, stay in the student's designated area. Three, check in with the student's supervisor. And all this appears in Hogwarts Mystery. In the Ministry of Magic program, it involved assignments given by the British Ministry of Magic to seventh-year students at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And it allowed them to explore different wizarding careers before graduating so they had an idea of what they wanted to do. Uh, it had been organized for several years as of the 1991 school year. In 1990, Amos Diggory was in charge of the program. So remember Cedric Diggory's dad? Uh, it was overseen by Wiki Twycross in 1991. Um, and Jacob's sibling, Nymphadora Tonks, Charlie Weasley, Liz Tuttle, Barnaby Lee, Ben Copper all participated in the program. Jacob Sibling and Nymphadora Tonks were assigned to Alistair Moody in the Aurora office, and Charlie Wisley and Liz Tuttle were assigned to the Improper Use of Magic office, and Ben Copper and Barnaby Lee were assigned to the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts office, located in the British Ministry of Magic's headquarters. The assignments aren't known. Copper, Barnaby Lee, uh, Charlie Weasley, and Liz Tuttle, but for Jacob Sibling and Nymphadora Tonks, uh, their assignments were um, to track down a rogue alchemist that invented a fake pansia uh, that gave several victims boils, uh, two to help Eric Munch register wands, uh, help Arthur Weasley with port keys, uh, fix enchanted windows with Arthur Weasley, uh, Aurora field training, assist Madam Bones with cases uh, that actually involved the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, and help Alistair Moody discover rumors and truths in the wizarding world. This all appears in Hogwarts Mystery. Uh, the enchanted windows that they were uh, supposed to fix with Arthur, uh, these were broken windows from a magical hurricane storm that Arthur wanted Jacob and Tonks to fix. Uh, they showed whatever weather one wished to see on a good or bad day. A fake pansia. What that is, it's just a potion made out of cornstarch boils, uh, and um, it was supposed to give people eternal life, but actually gave them boils instead. Um, Eric Munch, who that is, is he's a poorly shaven wizard who worked at the British Ministry of Magic and wore his blue robes when on duty. He checked students in for the ministry program in 1991, and uh, he has known... Uh, for checking in Bill Weasley and Jacob Sibling with a probity probe. What did you talk about probity probe before? At one point, remember uh, Bill Weasley? I heard he got a probity probe stuck up his. Yeah, you see. In 1995, he worked the security desk at the Ministry of Magic when Harry Potter had his hearing. Remember in Order of the Phoenix where he had his hearing? He was the person that worked the security desk at that time. He also is the one that reported a bewitched. Sturgic Podmore trying to break into the Department of Mysteries in 1995. So in Harry's fifth year, remember when the Death Eaters um, were trying to use the Imperious Curse on Sturgic Podmore to get the prophecy, he was the one that was in charge 
um, of the security get desk and actually caught uh, Sturgic Podmore that was bewitched at the time. In 2010, um, uh, he had to be rescued from the Department of Mysteries brain room um, by the more recently hired Grim Folly. So Grim Folly, who that is, we've talked about him actually in our Sorcerer's Stone interesting facts when we were talking about the Mirror of Erised. So we talked about him a good bit. But he, basically, he's responsible for the calamity that we've talked about so much before. But he was born in 1985. He was a wizard researcher for the British Ministry of Magic. He spent several years researching in the Department of Magical Law Enforcement before becoming an unspeakable in the Department of Mysteries. He was married to Penelope Pageant, and he had two children, Addison and Melody. In 2015, his wife and three other co-workers went mysteriously missing in London with a reporter from the Daily Prophet. Following the ministry's decision to close the case, uh, he resolved to do whatever he could to find his wife. He eventually fell under suspicion for having caused the calamity. Um, we actually mentioned this, like I said, once again, on the Sorcerer's Stone episodes with the interesting facts, and this is on the Mirror of Erised episode if you want to go back and look at that one. Um, Penelope Pageant, uh, she was the wife of Grim Folly and Aurora. She was an Aurora at the time. We mentioned this before, too, uh, in those same episodes. Aurora working for the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. She actually worked next to Harry Potter in the British Ministry of Magic. In 2015, she went missing, and it was overseen by the council on which Gareth Greengrass, Greengrass where we talked about the Greengrass family, um, was a member, and he actually called it off. Uh, the decision wound up playing a role in what later became the calamity. Uh, Gareth Greengrass uh, worked as a senior unspeakable in the British Ministry of Magic's Department of Mysteries. Um, he was part of the Greengrass family, which we spoke about before as one of the oldest pureblood families. Um, the Addison Folly was the son of Grim Folly and Penelope Folly, uh, who were Aurora's. Um, he was born sometime, no exact time is known, but born between 2006 and 2015. Melody Folly was the daughter of Grim Folly and Penelope Folly, uh, the brother of Addison Folly, born sometime between 2006 and 2015. Once again, no date is known. Uh, Melody was said to have inherited her mother's nose and looked very similar to her. Uh, pan, uh, panica. So what that is, is that's just a solution or uh, pansia. So what that is, is that's just a solution or remedy for all difficulties or diseases. Um, love potions. So just a little bit about that. A really cool story here, actually, um, with some different things that go into this. But uh, so love potions. So infatuation with whoever offers the potion. Side effects can result in embarrassment or part of the drinker um, and be pink in color. Difficulty level is advanced. Ingredients include include ashwinder eggs, rose thorns, peppermints, uh, powdered moonstone, uh, pearl dust, rose petals. Uh, known inventors were Laverne uh, de Montmorency, uh, so uh, Fred and George and Fred and George Weasley. Amortentia is the most powerful love potion. Uh, Laverne de Montmorency was born in 1823 and died in 1893. Um, she is actually a British witch uh, known for having dark hair color and green eyes and green skin. So not actually human, which is pretty cool. 
Um, she was born somewhere in the British Isles and attended Hogwarts from 1834 to 1841 and was sorted into the Ravenclaw house. She became an accomplished potioner after she graduated. She was most known for the invention of the love potions, and this is all recorded on a chocolate frog card, um, and it was all recorded after um, she died, which you can get this actually on a chocolate frog card in today's world wherever you want to get chocolate frog cards, whether it's the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando, whether you want to get them at Starbucks, wherever you want to get them. Um, on September 1991, Prefect Robert Hilliard actually uh, welcomed the Ravenclaw first years into the Ravenclaw Tower with a short speech which mentioned her as a potioner, uh, Laverne de Montmorency, as one of the many notable Hogwarts students that had been sorted like them into Ravenclaw, and says, uh, Ravenclaw House has an illustrious history. Most of the greatest wizarding inventors and innovators were in our house, including Laverne de Montmorency, a great pioneer of love potions. And that was Robert Hilliard that said that. Uh, Robert Hilliard attended Hogwarts sometime. Um, they attended Hogwarts between 1985 and 1987 and was sorted into Ravenclaw. He was a prefect in 1991 and welcomed first years when they arrived into the house. This is all mentioned in Pottermore. Um, related to the love potions. So um, the love potion antidote is related, the hate potion and entrancing enchantments. Uh, so the love potion antidote cured the symptoms of any love potion in an individual. It was clear colorless liquid and it was brewed by horse slughorn in Harry's sixth year, of course. Uh, it included wigan tree, castor oil, and gertie root. Castor oil is just vegetable oil. Um, the recipe is add four wigan tree twigs until the potion turns green. Stir until the potion turns orange, step two. Step three, add castor oil until the potion turns blue. Step four, turn until the potion turns purple. Step five, add extract gertie root until the potion turns red. Step six, add wigan tree twigs. Step seven, add extract of gertie root until the potion turns purple. Step eight, leave the potion to simmer till it turns red. Step nine, add more gertie root extract till it turns green. Step 10, uh, stir till it turns orange. Step 11, add seven wigan tree wig twigs. Seven, add seven wigan tree twigs is step 11. Step 12, allow to simmer till it turns pink. Uh, the potion is clear in the book. In the film, it's red. In the video game, it actually shows up as pink, but um, a hate potion can actually cancel out a love potion. What a Wigan tree is, uh, Josh has actually talked about it on his interesting facts before when we were talking about bow truckles. Um, but it's a magical rowan, which is a magical rowan is wand wood that was guarded by bow truckles. And anyone who touched the trunk of a Wigan tree or one of those trees would be guarded by dark creatures. So very interesting there. Uh, Gertie root, what that is, that's a magical plant resembling a green onion. Nothing really special about it, though. Uh, Luna Lovegood was said to have Gertie roots were excellent for warding off gulpy, gulping plimpies. So gulping plimpies is a breed of plimpy that repelled Gertie root. So a plimpy, what that is, is a small, round, magical fish with two legs ending in webbed feet. It lived in deep lakes and fed on water snails. A plimpy wasn't dangerous, though. Its eyes were used in potion making. 
and mer people actually considered it a pest uh they're on the magical creatures reserve actually um so the magical creatures reserve what that is is a reservation that's set up and secluded in an area of hogwarts near the castle and it's for protection of magical creatures that have difficulty existing in muggle areas it was overseen by the groundskeeper at hogwarts for a while rubius hagrid and jacob sibling actually have taken care of the area before um, and actually have helped a wide variety of magical creatures there in the mid-1980s uh, creatures included here were pixies nifflers gnarls porlocks deary claws abraxans fairy bow truckles gnome hippogriffs uh, common welsh green unicorn uh, chimera thestrals acromantulas uh, hungarian horntails plimpies grindy lows Mertlaps, flobber worms, uh, Norwegian ridgebacks, mountain troll, uh, manticores, griffin, doxies, uh, front salamanders, yetis, fire crabs, salamanders, Swedish short snout, Chinese fireballs, Ukrainian iron bellies, imp, kappas, and quintapes. So just some we haven't really gone over much, just so you have a, a little bit of knowledge there on some ones we haven't really touched on. Uh, Deary crawls, uh, those were plump, fluffy, feathered, and flightless magical birds native to uh, the Indian Ocean um, and Meridus, actually, which Meridus is an island in the Indian Ocean, approximately 560 miles off the coast of Madagascar. Um, Muggles actually believed that the bird was extinct when in actuality it still existed, but the International Confederation of Wizards did not see fit to reveal that the bird existed because they were afraid that muggles would actually poach them. Uh, these do appear in, a, in the Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets video game. They also appear in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, common Welsh Green, we talked about that before when we were talking about dragons on our interesting facts on the Sunday episodes. Um, common Welsh Green, we talked about this in Goblet of Fire, interesting facts, but uh, it's just a green dragon. Not much is really known about that. Just Jacob Sibling actually helped take care of one. Rubius Hagrid at one point. Um, Frost Salamander, this is really cool. They have the body temperatures below freezing, and actually it allows them to survive in extreme cold conditions. They're vulnerable to fire-making spells, but are resistant to Vertimelius charms and red sparks. Their beast class is double X, so 2X. Uh, their skin color is blue, and they have black eyes. They're related to the fire-dwelling salamander. They appear in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban video game, and the Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets video game. Uh, they appear in Hogwarts Mystery. A fire-dwelling salamander is a scarlet-red salamander with black eyes. They exist worldwide. They dwell in fire. Uh, they're beast class triple X, so 3X. They feed on flames. Triple X, Xander Cage. <laughs> just kidding, but uh, 3X. They are born uh, from flames, just like Fox, so very interesting there, uh, Fox the Phoenix. And uh, they actually continue to burn, though, uh, after they're born. Uh, the color, um, if you all have seen, you know, it reminds me of that salamander that's in Frozen 2, if you've ever seen that, but except imagine it being on fire the whole time. <laughs> but uh, the fire-dwelling salamander depends on the heat of its flames. The salamander blood actually is a powerful regenerative uh, curative property that's used a lot in potion brewing. Fire salamanders are rare Patronus charms as well, which is really cool. 
Um, this appears, they appear in Chamber of Secrets, the video game, Prisoner of Azkaban, the video game, Goblet of Fire, the video game, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, Pottermore, Lego Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling's official site, you can find the mention there, Hogwarts Mystery, they're mentioned, also Harry Potter, Wizards Unite, that game, they're mentioned, but, um, and uh, Fire Salamander Patronus relates to that, because um, it says the Patronus means that you find comfort in rebirthing yourself so finding like a new you um it says you wholeheartedly embrace the idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and if you get knocked down everyone knows you'll get right back up again anyways uh they're related to the amazonian salamanders so those are salamanders found in the amazon they're vulnerable to the full body blind curse the softening charm and the freezing spell but our resistance to the severing charm and the fire making spell, which uh, coming up here is the cool story I was uh, mentioning earlier. But the softening charm is a charm that softens objects, making them rubbery and bouncing. Uh, they're actually taught in their first year at Hogwarts at Charms class in Minerva and in Minerva McGonagall's second year in Transfiguration class how to do this. Uh, it's covered in the standard book of spells, grade one by Miranda Goshark. In 1980, Jacob's sibling actually believed that the spell worked by partially transfiguring the target into a sponge, though they were unsure if they were properly comprehending the textbook. Correct. Uh, but basically, it just means making the target soft and spongy. Uh, known practitioners of this curse is uh, Harry Potter, Hermione Granger, Ron Weasley, Gilderoy Lockhart, Minerva, Minerva McGonagall, Phileas Flitwick, and Jacob's sibling. The severing charms. This is really cool. Uh, incantation is Defendo, uh, light green, pink, or red. It's used precisely and accurately to cut something. It was taught in second year's charms class and fourth year's charms class uh, to prevent death or injury. So here's kind of the story, which is really cool. Um, it is found in standard book of spells grade one, I will say. It was actually created, though, by Delphina Crimp in the 15th century which is really cool she made the spell because prior to her discovery uh she actually owned a clothing shop and was using the spell to cut different threads um basically what happened is there was a lot of controversy uh, because she was such a great designer and uh made famous clothes so basically what happened was she had this clothing shop and one is one of the most known witches for inventing this clothing in the 15th century and uh, basically what happened was this muggle snickerton was jealous of all her work and applied at her shop when she was under the name madame crimp and uh, just acting like he was a muggle where she was a muggle and really admire her work when he did was he discovered when she was cutting clothing with that spell that she was a witch and so he realized that was her secret and got his muggle friends to kidnap and try to torture her when she said she needed to release her hands to scratch a ward on her chin and revealed it was a wand and she cursed him and that curse was for the rest of time all eternity he basically died insane because he always envisioned uh, scissors were trying to cut him um, and it said that curse, when she put it on him, it cut him all up um, with that spell. But 
She was known for spell creation, dark arts, charms, and apparition. Uh, she pretended she was a muggle uh, because she was constantly persecuted. And this was during the time of all the witch trials were going on. Um, she did help invent the sewing charm as well. Uh, it says Snickerton was jealous and tried to sabotage her work. Um, Madame Crimp's shop uh, Del- was Delphina's Crimp's shop in the 1500s. So it says witches and wizards were subject to persecution in the 15th century. So Madame Crimp, who became one of the most fashionable dressmakers in London, preferred to pretend she had no magical powers. Unfortunately, the great beauty of her dresses, cloaks, aroused considerable envy among other tailors, many of whom uh, were convinced that she knew some secret that she did not. Um, And Miranda Goshark um, mentions this in Book of Spells. Uh, The Peruvian salamander. So back to where we were on salamanders. So uh, they're the purple beast class of 3X, um, but they're native to Peru. Uh, Small fire-dwelling lizards that can emit green heat. Uh, They're vulnerable to full-body bind curses. Um, The softening charm, the freezing spell, resistant to severing charm, and fire-making spells, which we just talked about, the severing charm. And, of course, the full-body mind curse we've talked about uh, just last week or so, or the week before. Um, This all appears in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban video game and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, The hate potion. So, finally, to the hate potion. Remember I said that's, like, what will cancel out a love potion. But a hate potion is a potion that revealed the worst traits and habits of a particular person. It was recommended by Grizel Hertz for witches and wizards who were emotionally attached to a person who does not return feelings. Uh, Grizel Hertz was born in 1982 or earlier. Uh, She was a witch columnist uh, for uh, the Daily Prophet, and she dealt with uh, queries of emotional nature while her co-columnists, Zamira Gulch, Herbert Spleen, and Dempster Wigglesworth, addressed more straightforward issues. She responded to a letter from a lovelorn wit who was thinking about using a love potion to attract the man whom she loved. Gridzel suggested to use a hate potion instead to rid herself of the obsession. Um, so her co-workers with her, uh, so Zamira uh, Gulch was a British witch columnist and author of The Practical Household Magic. Um, she told uh, readers how to solve common household problems. She responded to a letter from Elviria Elkins, who was having difficulty with fixing a charm to work, and Gulch concluded that Elkins let her mind wander too much when casting the spell and should probably just stick to nails instead. <laughs> so, really great. Uh, Practical Household Magic was a book that um, had tips on how to look after one's home with magic. Basically used more like muggle artifacts, just like how she was saying, like the nails. This all appears in the Daily Prophet newsletters it's mentioned. Uh, Helbert Spleen, um, he was born before 1982. He was a healer at St. Mungo's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries, but he also worked at the Daily Prophet as a columnist along next to these two ladies. Um, and he would answer only questions related to health. He replied to a letter from Howland Coopy, who was diagnosed with dragonpox. Howland Coopy uh, sent a letter to the Daily Prophet after experiencing dragonpox symptoms. He was advised 
by Professor Spleen, despite dragonpox being fatal, to soak his feet in cold water to cure it. So, don't know how much that helped, but that's what he advised. Um, Dempster Wigglesweight was born before 1979. He worked for the Department of Magical Law Enforcement as well as he was a columnist. Worked next to all of these three. Um, and he answered questions on the problems page and advised Bucky Cooper not to take revenge on his brother by turning his children into vampire ferrets. Uh, following Voldemort's downfall, he answered security questions from the Daily Prophet readers is what he did. Uh, Buckley Cooper wrote to the Daily Prophet after having a long-running feud with his brother and wanted to know of the Ministry of Magic if the Ministry of Magic would ignore it if he got revenge uh, for the cursed broomstick he had been sent by abducting his brother's children and turning them into vampire ferrets. So pretty messed up. Um, in his reply, uh, Dempster Wiggles Wade warned Cooper not to go through these actions. So he said, don't do that and you won't have any problems. Um, in Entrancing enchantments, this is also related to love potions. What those are, entrancing enchantments, uh, these are charms used to entrance people in almost like hypnosis. In 1927, Queenie Goldstein, that we've talked about before, uh, placed one on her romantic interest, Jacob uh, Kowalowski, um, in, um, in order to convince him to marry her. This is actually shown in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, Phileas Flitwick taught this in 1989 to the fifth-year students as part of Valentine's Day lesson also. Uh, however, he did not teach them how to cast them. But known practitioners are Phileas Flitwick, Queenie Goldstein, and Penny Haywood. And you can see Queenie Goldstein uh, do that. That's actually in the Fantastic Beast movie. Uh, so, yeah, guys, that was a not too long of one today. Pretty much a normal episode size. Uh, I know it kind of gotten a little bit longer, but we got a lot of content. And, you know, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince is a beast of its own. Um, so guys, uh, thanks so much again for all you do for us. It really means a lot. Everything you do, uh, definitely check us out on Instagram. I'm on there. R B R O W one, two, nine, follow us at official ridiculous Patronus. You can follow Jay Nelly on Instagram. Uh, follow us at chase and Josh factor fantasy on Facebook. You can follow us on YouTube at official ridiculous Patronus there. Um, leave us a like subscribe. Uh, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It always means so much when you do that. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. So that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, Google Play. Um, you know, we're even on a cast, all of those. So really anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, you can even pull it up straight through our website on Podbean if you want. Uh, so shout out to Podbean, Coliseum of Comics. They're always helping us out there. Sunday's going to be a jam-packed episode. Um, as far as getting into Half-Blood Prince, and then we'll finish up Half-Blood Prince with another couple weeks. So we've already been, you know, on this, uh, grinding our gears here, heading up that Hogwarts Express Hill, about to go into the fourth quarter, which is what you've all been waiting for is Deathly Hallows. So with that, I'll go ahead and say uh, this has been another episode of Interesting Facts with Chase from Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. This has been a ridiculous production. I'm your host, Chase. Signing off.